Amen. Hey, well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, as Kevin mentioned, as I did earlier, yep, well, there we go. They're little kids, or not so little, you can head on out. Um, Tim Rogers, lead pastor here. Glad to be back with you. Thank you to both Kevin and uh, Chuck Holt for taking the last couple Sundays. Our family was on vacation. We enjoyed a little break, a little getaway. That was, that was good for us, and uh, we are back uh, at it. And uh, this morning, we're jumping right back into a series that I started before we left called Good to Know. And uh, this is, I believe, part four of that series now. I say I believe because my head is still getting uh, reoriented to what's going on in my day today. And I want to tell you a little bit of my day today, just to kind of invite you into my world. And before I do that, I want to bring you further into my world by sharing one other thing with you. And that is, um, as a as a communicator here, um, one of the things I always want for me is that I want whatever I tell you to have been run through the grid of my own personal life before I come up here and just tell you what to do and having not told me what I should also do. And, and the, the reality is whenever you get into standing in front of people to say something that you certainly want to know, have I really allowed this to run through in all honesty the depths of my heart and soul to the same degree that I would want it to run through the depths and the heart and soul of the people who are hearing what I'm going to say. In other words, you don't want to stand up and be a hypocrite or be out of touch or be completely a jerk when you're talking to people. So this morning, my day started off in a way that I didn't anticipate, and, and things are going on in this moment that I didn't anticipate, that actually as I'm driving away from the house, because the phone rang at 7 o'clock this morning and has changed my morning and my mindset this morning, and as I'm driving away, I think, oh, really, of all mornings, like this has to happen here in this space? Then I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> what has happened to me this morning and what I'm processing internally is very much in line with what I had to share with you this morning Anyway, and my wife is not here this morning because she's with um, our, our two daughters and several other people in Ohio at a soccer tournament, which is great. And we recently got a newer-ish van for our family, not new, but new to us, anyhow. And part of the reason was so that it can be a reliable vehicle so that when you take trips like going to the Ohio, like it'll be reliable and you'll be fine, you can come back. So this morning at 7 o'clock, she calls and she's like, hey, the check, not check engine, but check charging system light is on and staying on. I'm like, huh, I would just put duct tape over it. <laughs> Keep going. And then the ABS lights are flashing and the VSA is flashing and I'm like, oh, great. So in other words, you're going to be stuck. And here I am, your husband, here, like seven hours away from you. And I can't help you at all. And I'll tell you, like everything in me as a husband wants to take care of my wife, especially in that moment, and be the one to make this work. And so I'm, you're kidding me, like I have to pull out at a certain time to get here at a certain time, so I'm kind of doing the solo dad thing this weekend, we're trying to get everybody ready and get out the house, and, and I get this call kind of as I'm driving out, and oh, I got to brush my teeth, fix this, do the hair thing, and I, oh, oh, I can't help you. And I'm, and I'm, thinking like seriously of all the of all the mornings like to, to have this happen and as I'm driving away I'm like you know what truthfully if I can just invite you into my life like what I have to share with you this morning is really about days like this and about seasons like this and times like this and I, I will tell you that this metaphor of my wife currently stuck in Ohio trying to figure out what's going on with the car which I think we figured out now but she's gonna be there for a little while like this is just a metaphor of 
the way life is going to work and has worked, for some of you, that problem, that struggle, that little mmm, is much bigger than a car problem. For others, it's very clear that this will help us think through what is going on. But I want you to know that as I talk to you this morning, I'm teaching myself the very same message that I'm giving to you this morning. The things that we're going to see Solomon talking to his son about are very real to me this morning, and I hope will be very helpful to you, because we are in a series, in this Good to Know series, where Solomon, I think one of the wisest men on the planet outside of Jesus, has pulled his son up to the the table, kind of sat down with him and said, son, I want to talk to you for a little bit. I want to give you some advice. I want to give you some things that are good to know as you get out there into this world. And by way of review, because it's been a couple of weeks, here's, here's how we started. and kind of talked about wisdom at the beginning, that, that wisdom, he kind of said, son, I want you to understand wisdom. He said, wisdom is invaluable. And the reason it's invaluable is because it's a renewable resource which offers ever-increasing rates of return. In other words, it's like, I don't know, I guess great wine. Like it just gets better with age. And very few things do that, get better with age. And, and wisdom is like that. And then the second week, we learned this simple thing. Thing, and that is this, that who you trust shapes the quality and direction of your life. Not just who you know or what you know, but actually who you trust. That the trusting relationships that we develop impacts the quality and direction of our life. And then right before I left on vacation and Chuck took over, we did this idea that habits both reveal and reinforce values. And Solomon talked to his son about really some financial habits. So in other words, to bring you up to speed, everything in Solomon's conversation with his son to this point is great. Like, there's nothing wrong with life at this point. Solomon, son, like, son, if you listen to me, life will be good, and you're going to have basically uh, bountiful options and pleasures. You're going to, you're going to, like, get some incredible things if you make these good decisions, if you trust the Lord, if you make these financial habits, if you do this kind of stuff, things will go well. And then all of a sudden, you get a call at seven in the morning, and your wife is stuck in Ohio, and it's like, wait, wait, wait. I have, a, I have a question, God. Like, what about the times when you go through the valleys? Like, what about the time when you can't control what comes? Can you talk about that for a minute? Can you, can you do that? And so here's what we know about the valleys, that even the valleys can be redeemed, right? Let me put this another way, that not only can the valleys be redeemed, but let me put it this way. Your hardest days can become your greatest days given time and intentionality. And so I'm driving out this morning from my house, okay? And I've already been processing this statement for a couple of weeks now. I've been trying to run this through the grid of my life. And so I'm I'm on the phone with my wife, and I'm like, seriously, this is a hard day. Like, I would love to be with you because I don't know what's going on with the car. It could be that it's broken down forever. Maybe you're stuck in Ohio and never see you again for the rest of my life. And so in this moment, like, this is a hard day, a hard moment, a hard season. It's been a tough weekend. Didn't sleep well last night personally, and so I wake up and hear. So I'm about to tell you this, and I have to tell myself this, and I have to ask myself, is this true? Is this true? Like in this moment, in this season, and right now we're still trying to figure it out, is this true? In your hardest days, and again, this is small compared to what some of you are dealing with, but in your hardest days, can it turn out to become your greatest days given time and intentionality? And I think the answer to that is yes, and I want to flesh that out with you this morning. And I think the answer is yes, because... These hardest days, you've already experienced many of them, and they have become the days that you actually remember that have shaped and changed you. Maybe, maybe not a day like today that I might be having, but the days where maybe like, like me when I was in high school, maybe you remember this experience in high school, you ever get dumped by the girl you thought you were certain going to marry, or the guy that you were sure was the guy for you? Those relational breaks are hard. And I remember sitting there weeping. I mean, weeping, it's a strong word. I was crying. I was like, no, like this. But listen, I'm not married to those girls anymore, and I'm glad for that. 
Never, I was married to them, but yeah, I'm not married to them. And I'm glad for that. It was the hardest day. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad people, but it turned out great for me on the back end. But in those moments, like this is a hard day. You've been forced out of a job only to find yourself in a brand new city, a brand new place. And maybe you're here because of a job relocation. And those hard days are like, man, I'm never going to achieve where I thought I was going to be, or I kind of got forced out or pushed out. There are hard moments, there are hard days. Maybe you're pushed out of the, the family in some way, shape, and form. You're kind of pushed away. Things happen. People around you move. They, they leave. They change their relationships with you, and these are hard days. And later on, you see that with time and intentionality, the days that have become the hardest actually can turn out to become days that you will remember that will shape you and your relationship with God in a deep way that if those days didn't happen, you would never become the person you are and you would never see God the way that you now see him. And this is why I think this is both true and extremely hard all at the same time. And so Solomon, after setting up some pretty cool stuff for his son, he kind of draws it down a little bit and he invites him into the valley a little bit. He says, son, there's going to be some times that aren't going to be awesome and I want to talk to you about how you should handle the valleys when they come. So I invite you to turn in your Bible, if you have it, to the book of Proverbs. We're in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs are kind of in the middle of a Bible. There's a Bible in the pew around you. That's our gift to you if you don't own one. But Proverbs 3, just to the right of the book of Psalms, Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 is where we are going to be this morning. Okay? And as we get started, I want you to see one more thing from a, a great communicator who's like a father, he's certainly a father and a grandfather, but here's how Chuck Swindoll put it. So we think about these challenges that people face, and Solomon's kind of pulling his son up to the table. Swindoll says it this way, and you can see it on the screen here if it's helpful to you. He says, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. I love the way that Swindoll puts that. If that's helpful to you, I hope you will take that and keep that and remember that. But I think he's right on point. So Solomon says to his son in verses 11 to 12, he says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. Those are our verses for this morning. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. Again, this is coming right on the heels of when you make a bunch of money, when you're highly successful, make sure you do the right things with it. Pursue wisdom because it'll be awesome. Keep trusting the Lord and he'll make your path straight. Like everything is going to kind of line up and be great. And by the way, I should just kind of tell you, son, there's going to be valleys. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be some hard times. And in those seasons, I want you, he says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. In other words, and this is a very powerful start, don't consider it worthless. Imagine for a minute... If you're on your phone, it might not be hard to imagine, but imagine you're on your phone or have your phone nearby, and that it actually rings, like telephone thing, not just text, but it actually rings, or you get a text, and it's that person that you're kind of tired of hearing from. It's that person you wish would stop calling or stop texting, you look, and you're like, mm, I'll get them later, or, or not, mm, like I wish, I wish, I wish. 
That's the idea of do not despise. It's that, that image of, okay, oh, this is a bad day calling. It's a bad moment calling. It's a text from a bad situation. I'm going to look the other way. I'll deal with it later. Like, I'm not interested in that right now. I'd rather get a call from someone else. I'd rather get a text from someone else. I really don't want to deal with the hardship. So when I get a text that it's going to be a hard time, hard season, like, I'd rather leave it alone. I'd rather turn from it. And Solomon says, Listen, don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, don't, don't do that. Don't despise it. Don't put it away. Don't set it to the side. Don't run away from it. Don't step away from that. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. And the reason for that, and you know the reason for that, is because the best things that we learn happen, we know this, happen in the hardest times of our lives. And so to despise the Lord's discipline is essentially to say, I don't want to learn the best things about you and about me now. I don't want to learn the best things about you and about me right now. And so I'm going to despise that. And Solomon says to his son, listen, be smarter than the average bear, my son. Like, be smarter than that. Know that when you get that text, when you get that call from something or someone, some situation that you don't want to have, don't despise it. Don't turn it away. Don't get back to it later. Like, step into it. And then he identifies that the hardship is actually the Lord's discipline. Now, this gets funny and weird. And so what's he saying? He's, is he saying, like, any hardship, setback that you have, Solomon's son, you know, I wish he had a name. I wish I should name him something, like Ernest or something. I don't know. Anyway, I should name him something. Saul Jr., anyway, you can, I'm taking name recommendations. You can text them to me. Actually, don't. No, you will now. Okay, anyway, so Solomon's son, his son's sitting there, and he said, listen, um, is Solomon saying the Lord's discipline is what is behind every hardship that you get. In other words, like, is the reason that the alternator went out on our van in Ohio, the Lord's discipline on us, me, on Jen, on the van, I don't know. I mean, so many of you know I get uh, routinely uh, optic or what they call ocular migraines, where all of a sudden my vision kind of goes out and I can't see. It's like someone flashed a flash bulb right in my eyes and I can't see. And, and um, I get uh, uh, the, the pain of the blood rushing to my head about 24, 48 hours, kind of out of, I'm just not sharp. I can't think very well, a lot of migraine stuff. So when I get an optic migraine, which I did Wednesday night, by the way, how should I read that? Like, is this, is this the Lord's discipline? Like, have I done something that I shouldn't have done? Have I thought something I shouldn't have thought? Have I not done enough? Have I done too much? I mean, what is that? Or do I just need to go to bed? Or does the alternator just need to be replaced? Like, you know, what, what is this? And Solomon just identifies, and, and he doesn't explain it. He doesn't give parameters. He doesn't give, well, this is what it is, and this is what it is. And he just kind of says it, like, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Like, Solomon, I have a bunch of questions about that. What does that even mean? And so I can't get answers in this text. It doesn't give me answers. So I ask it broadly. As we look at the Scriptures, here, here's what we know about the Scriptures, that you, you can't, two, two things. Number one, you can't take one even one teaching of Scripture and apply it to the other relative to the Lord's discipline. In other words, if some of you have heard the story of Job, um, he was a, a patriarch, wealthy, strong man, great family, a lot of money and, and huge uh, resources that he had. And, and God decides to allow Satan to tempt and test him and kind of remove almost, almost all of that from him. Big deal, big deal in the Old Testament story of Job. So, that's hardship. Is that the Lord's discipline? Now, into the New Testament, we have Jesus interacting with people all over the place. And, and one of the people they interact with in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, is a man uh, born blind, a man blind from birth. And the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, hey, we have a question. Like, who sinned? 
this man or his parents, that he was born blind. In other words, we just assume that because he's in hardship, because he's sick, okay, because he can't see there's something wrong with his health, we're just going to line that up with the Lord's discipline and say, the Lord's discipline and health and sickness problems go together. So who sinned? This man or his parents, to which, if you know that story, Jesus says, neither one. Like, door number three, this happens so that others may see the glory of God, basically. Like, this isn't because of sin. This is, you can't put that together. And so I, I can't even apply, for example, the, the Job principle to the man born blind principle. I can't even apply what scripture to scripture in that case. And so I'm left to wonder, what is this? The second reality in the Bible, and this is just the reality of God, is that God is an incredibly mysterious God in many ways, and his brain is bigger than mine. I know that surprises many of you, but I'll say that again if you need to. His sovereignty is overwhelming. His knowledge is ridiculous compared to what you and I have. It's not even in the same conversation. And so when I sit here and try to figure out, God, is my optic migraine hmm, because of my sin, because of a correction I need? Because Maybe. Maybe not. God, I have a question. What are you trying to do with the health crisis that you're putting these people through? I have a question. Why did you allow that earthquake to happen? Why did you allow that tsunami? I have a question. Why are people fleeing their, their countries and landing in refugee camps? I have, I have a question, God. Like, why are you allowing these hardships globally, nationally, locally, personally to happen? I, why do you allow what you could prevent? God, I have a question. Is this because of your discipline? Are you just a disciplinarian up there? And we know that our brains can handle about one quadrillionth of what God can see and understand. That what goes through my life will impact people all over the place as will yours. That your health crisis, your problems, your struggles, your hardships impact people in ways that you will never know and I will never know and will reach further than you and I can ever understand. And so to sit there and assume that we can get on top of that with our little brain and figure out how your response to your crisis now will impact the next generation and their future teachers and their grandparents, their grandkids, and all on down the line. There is no capacity that I have to figure that out. I cannot get on top of the sovereign control and what we call omnipotence and omniscience, the all-knowing power of God. And so I am left to wonder and sit there and wonder when the alternator goes out on Ohio and when I get an optic migraine Wednesday night, God... What is going on? And to be honest with you, I do not have the answer that says this is God's discipline, and I do not have an answer that says it is not God's discipline. And so here's what I ask myself. It's very simple. I ask myself, God, is there anything that I need to learn about me and about you in this space? And I let the question sit. Even this morning, I mean, I'm driving here, I'm telling you, this has to run through me. Even this morning, I'm sitting here singing these songs that were led so well this morning. Singing about God's faithfulness and his favor and his kindness. I'm no longer a slave to fear, sure. I'm not anxious about my wife being alone in Ohio, you know, forever and ever, with an alternator that's bad, you know. No longer a slave to fear, yeah. Am I? Or is that a teaching moment for me, like, geez, Tim, like right in this space, to be honest with you, yeah, I am. Like, I'm anxious in here. Is there something that I need to learn about me and about my God in this space? And that's the question that I ask. Is this God's discipline? I don't know. Is it not? I don't know. 
but I know that I can learn something whether it is or whether it isn't, and so I don't anymore try to figure out if it's the Lord's discipline, but I do stop and pause and ask, God, what is it that I can learn about me, and what is it I can learn about you from this situation? But whatever you do, don't despise it. Don't reject the call. Don't push the text away. Don't despise that, because the greatest things to learn are right in that space. Solomon, in the second part of his verse, he says this, and don't resent his rebuke. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't resent his rebuke. That's easy. Kids don't like being rebuked. Kids don't like being told to go a different direction. And you, if you're an adult, you know adults like it even less. And so if you're an adult and you're usually right, you've thought about what you want to do, the approach you want to take, why you think someone else should take your course of action, why you think your children should act differently, and why you think your spouse should act differently, and why your boss should act differently, and you're usually right about that. And here's what Solomon says, don't resent, resent this deep emotional reaction, don't resent his rebuke. He's just kind of saying to his son, son, there are going to be times, you're going to grow into an adult, and there's going to be times God is going to have to stop you in your path. And say, nope, not this way. No, no, no. I knew you thought you were going to go that way in your job. Not going to happen anymore. You're moving. I knew you thought you were going to be healthy forever. You're not going to be, and this is the way it's going to be. Mm. I knew you thought you were going to be in that church forever, but it's not going to happen, and here's what's going to change. I knew you thought your kids were going to go this way, but they're not. I knew you thought you were going to get married in this way, but it's not going to happen. I'm going to change your course. Like He's just saying, don't resent that rebuke, that change. And that is hard. Because we're usually right until we come under the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient mind and heart of God who knows way more than I do, way more than you do. And so he's saying to his son, don't resent it, don't rebuke it, don't have this pushback to it. The reason is in verse 12. The reason we can trust this is in verse 12. First, look at that with me again. Because the Lord disciplines those he hates. Disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son that he delights in, it's actually because of God's deep love for you that discipline comes and hardship comes in the first place. That's what he's saying. Here's what we know about dads. The, the, The loving father corrects his son because he doesn't want today's bad ideas to turn into tomorrow's critical failures. Right? I mean, there's a reason that that dads correct their sons now. Like, dads want their sons to figure out how do you handle $5 before you get 5000 Like, I want you to handle the 5 bucks correctly because there will come a time in your life when you will have the 5000 and more. And so I want to see you handle this, and I'm going to correct you and kind of rebuke you because I love you. And I don't want your mistakes today to turn into critical failures tomorrow. If you blow 5 bucks, you blow 5 bucks. If you blow 5000 that's a totally different story. The question I have, I'm thinking about this passage, and Solomon's sitting there, imagine Solomon sitting there talking to his son, is why would he say this now? Why would he say this to his son in this space, in this moment? Coming off of the great things that are happening, and you know, if you follow God, trust in him, and give your best to God, and he'll bless you, and you'll be strong, and you're prosperous, and live long life, and all this, and then all of a sudden he drops this bomb right in the middle of the conversation. Why would he say this now? That's a question I ask. I ask that regularly, by the way, of the text when I read the Bible. It's a question you can ask all the time, and that is the question of why would the author put this here? Why is this here? It helps you understand what the author is trying to get at. And here's the answer I get for me, and I don't know because I wasn't in Solomon's mind, but it's an important question to ask. I think, first of all, that Solomon doesn't want his son to walk away from faith. 
I think Solomon wants to normalize this for his son and say there's going to be times when this is going to be extremely hard. You're going to walk through seasons where you're just going to totally doubt that God exists at all and that he's not a loving father at all. He's like an angry tyrant. Or worse yet, he's irrelevant and doesn't care. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. And so those seasons of doubt and struggle and pain and hardship, like I want you to know that's going to be a normal reality. And in that space, I don't want you not to despise it. So I'm going to kind of normalize this experience for you. But I also think he wants his son to be able to learn. I don't know of a dad who doesn't want their children to be able to learn and grow. And I, in preparing for this, I ran into an ancient document, a papyrus, a strange name and senior doc, uh, papyrus. But in there, whoever wrote this papyrus put it this way, and I love the way they put it. And they said this, no instruction can succeed if there is resentment or blame. No instruction can succeed if there is resentment or blame. Think about that for a minute. If you've ever tried to correct your children or you've ever been corrected by somebody else, and instead of taking responsibility, they pass it off and blame it on someone else, they're not going to learn the lesson that needs to be learned, right? If there, if there is blame or resentment, we cut off the ability of our heart to learn anything because we aren't at fault. If the leader of your organization makes a decision that impacts you and you lose your job or whatever, if the leader of your church does something that you hate, if the leader of your community group, whatever, if you as a leader do something that people begin to hate or despise you, like if there is resentment that we have toward other people, if I don't deal with that resentment, I do not learn a thing about the hardship that I'm going through. All that I learn is how to be bitter toward you. But I don't learn anything about the character of my God. I don't learn anything about my character. If there is resentment or blame, it shuts off the valve to learning. It shuts off the condition of our heart. It makes us hard-hearted if there is resentment or blame. And I think Solomon is sitting there with his son, kind of saying, son, I don't want this to happen to you. I want you to be open, and I want you to be able to learn. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book years ago, many years ago, called The Problem of Pain. And in that book... He uses this image, which I think is very helpful, of a, a master painter painting two different kinds of pictures. And one picture over here is a picture for a child who walks up to him, kind of runs up to him, and, and asks for a picture because the child knows who this, this uh, painter is. And he, he draws a quick picture for him, and honestly, it's going to be way better than what I could draw, maybe what you could draw, maybe not, depending on what you do with that. And so he draws this, this quick picture for the kid, and it looks great. The kid walks away extremely happy. On the other hand is the masterpiece that this, this artist is working on, this beautiful piece that they spend days, weeks, months, in some cases years, developing and creating and finishing this incredible full work of art. And in the process of creating this work of art, if you're an artist at all or know anything about art, and you know that it undergoes various iterations or changes or challenges. And when you're talking about engaging canvas, you also know it's a very tactile experience, that you're touching the canvas, you're scraping the paint, you're rubbing down the paint that you don't want there anymore and putting new on. And in that tactile experience, C.S. Lewis pondered for a minute and he wondered, if this painting on the wall could feel, if this painting over here could talk, would it want, would it want the artist to scrape at it, to rub it down dry, or would it push back at the pain and say, no, 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 you've scraped enough. You've pushed enough. This is dry to the bone over here. 
And clearly, if the painting could talk, the painting would push back at the pain and say, no, 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 no. Don't scrape here anymore. Don't, don't do this. And yet, from the artist's perspective and from the viewer's perspective, we know that it's in the scraping, it's in the rubbing that creates the beautiful masterpiece that we see. And Lewis goes so far as to say this, that when we push back with God on the pain, we're essentially asking him to love us less rather than more. God, I don't want to turn into the masterpiece that you want. I don't want that part of me scraped down. I've I've had enough. If it's true that God is a Father who loves and everything comes through His hand like this, is it not true that even the hardship that we experience is not unlike this artist scraping down the stuff that quite... It's not quite right. should be fine-tuned, but it's painful. It's a beautiful image of what can happen. So I want to leave this question with you and then give you one more thing. And this is the question that I ask. To be honest with you, I'm, again, my heart on the table here, my cards on the table, this is the question I asked this morning. Is I'm, after, after I'm upset and anxious and the worry rises in me, okay, about Jen stuck, and I can't help her as a husband, and that goes through me that I can't help her right now. And after I kind of handle that a little bit, I then move into this question that I already said to you. I ask this question, God, is there anything here that I need to learn about you or about me? Is this a discipline of God? I don't know. Is it not? I don't know. But what I do know is I can ask this question and pursue the answer, God, is there anything right here, right now, that I need to learn about me and I need to learn about you? through what I'm going through right now. Because all of this comes through the hand of the loving Father. And Solomon's sitting there with his son saying, Son, you're going to go through the valleys. Your hardest days, and you know it, your hardest days end up becoming your best with time and intentionality, intentionally stepping into the grace of God and asking these questions that move our heart back to the heart of our Father. Lewis uh, finished uh, in, his, in his book, The Problem of Pain, with this great quote, and I hope this is helpful to you. He said this about pain and struggle. My conviction, when pain is to be born, a little courage helps more than much knowledge, a little human sympathy more than much courage, and the least tincture, which is a big word for the slightest trace or smallest amount, of the love of God more than all. Well said. In other words, when you're facing this, Struggle, trial, hardship. Courage is necessary. But even more than courage, human sympathy will help you. Encouragement from a friend will help you so much. But even more than that, the slightest touch of the love of God that reminds you, you are a child who might be being scraped down, but you are loved because that is what a loving father does with his children from God's hand comes both the discipline and the restoration in the book of Job we read it this way blessed is the man whom God corrects so do not despise the discipline of the almighty for he wounds but he also binds up he injures but his hands also heal So what can you learn about you, about your God, when you go through those seasons that you would rather not go through? Next week, I want to talk to you 
about why you should consider, why you should continue pursuing wisdom, even though you're going to go through these valleys, and why you should continue to press into a relationship with a loving Father who will lead you through these valleys of pain, and why it's worth it on the other side. I'll be glad to have you with us next week for that. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be here this morning to come around this idea of hardship, setbacks, struggles, discipline, and be reminded that you are a loving Heavenly Father who indeed allows, sometimes creates, and in the middle of all this mystery, I pray that you would help us to see how we can learn both who we are and who you are through all of the things that come to us in this life now. I pray that you would give us both courage to face what we need to, empathy to encourage those around us who are in different seasons, and also a touch from you of the love of God to remind us that we are your children, even if we're being scraped away at right now. Father, we love you, and we pray that you would take all of these kind of pieces of us, all these things that make us up, and use all of these experiences, stories, hurts and pains to draw together a great masterpiece that out of our weakness your power would be made known and your love would be known to all. We love you and thank you for the time that we can share. In Jesus' name, amen.